This is Kristen. And this is Isha. Welcome to I'm Not a Peach Crayon. Why, hello again. Hey! Oh, God. Is someone murdering you? No. Okay. I'm just excited. Dang. I just want to make sure. I'm excited. Now it sounds like I'm a murder victim. Well, it sounds like a deflated balloon kind of high, so I wasn't sure. Maybe you're just too mellow. Well, I did wake up from a nap, and, you know, my brain takes two hours to wake up from a nap. So here we are. Hi, everyone, again. Uh, welcome back to September. Welcome back to September. Yeah. Well, welcome back to another Well, welcome back. I'm not a peach crayon. And we're crayon. in September. Yes, so we it are. made sense. It, I'm glad it made sense in your head. It, uh, made, <laughs> it made sense to you because you knew what I was talking about. So, yes. Well, we're back for another great episode. And this time we are going to talk about whether or not people of the global majority can go on the hero's journey. Mm hmm. And what is, okay, so this is the one thing I forgot to look up, was when Joseph Campbell. Uh, Let's go and start create, first with who Joseph Yeah, is. well, no, that's the thing, because I was like, I was going to delve into it. And so, ba- I'm trying to stop using the word basically. There was a man who once upon a time saw that uh, a lot of old mythos is especially or specifically within Western culture had each hero or lead character had a very specific journey that they followed. And it was a multiple step where they were in their current world. And then they did this journey through um, the spectral world, um, which was outside of their normal day to day. They go through a quest and they come back renewed or changed with a boon of some sort. And so he wrote this book called The Hero of a Thousand Faces or The Thousand Faces of a Hero. I can't now I'm suddenly like guessing. But at some point in the in time, it was called Hero with a Thousand Faces. Yeah, yeah. Basic premise. Uh, And when when was it thrown out into the world? I don't have that particular information, but it was a long time ago. Yeah. It's the best that I can come up with. Oh, I thought you, you were out. pulling up Wikipedia while I was going through. I can pull it. Give me a, uh, give me a second. I'll pull up Wikipedia for you. Well, he created this. And so that's the concept of you have a hero and there are certain stages that they go through. So it starts with the ordinary world and it goes into the spectral world and then ends again into the ordinary world. So while she's looking up what when it was it was 1949 1949 i was gonna say 1950 and i was oh, like you been very close. i know i should have just went with what i was but i didn't want to sound stupid could have just said about yeah i didn't want to be you know how sometimes you you know something but then you don't want to seem cocky it's that female position yes. because you know we always get our our answers second guessed or questioned there needs to be you know so we got to make sure we have exact, exact information even though we know the answer god especially I, sh- I know this because i had to study this thing for a lot of things right you just went i just, just started a cl- or I, can, I don't know let's not talk about that but i did have a class where i learned about it and then i also learned about it when i did folklore so yes anyways so how this uh he he saw this pattern and he was like y'all i got this so he created this chart and i'm like scrolling down so i could just do the short hairs and curlies of it but it starts with the uh the we the audience or the reader or the listener whoever uh meets the hero of the story in the ordinary world after that, there is the call to action, which is basically 
you know, hey, there's a challenge or an adventure. Let's you got to do this thing. Go for it, the young man. Right. And most and a lot of times or some of the examples, I guess, are that the, the hero denies it. Yes. Or says no to the call to action. Uh, and so I think that was called refuse. Yeah. Refusal, yeah, refusal. to the call because they express fear or distress or whatever. What's next, Kristen? Then we have meeting with the mentor. So that's the person who helps uh, our young hero along on their journey. Oh, yes. I should briefly pause. So throughout the hero's journey, the hero does meet certain archetypes that are supposed to be expressive of their own personal development or challenge or however they struggle. So there's different ones. We'll go into that a little after we go through the, the cycle. But I just want to preference that you'll meet like the mentor, other archetypes that exist through the hero story. Continue. Right. And then from there, you start to move into the spectral. Mm-hmm. The spectral. Thank you. Yeah, you're uh, welcome. I kept looking at you. The uh, special world where you end up with crossing the threshold. So this is just about when the the uh, hero on their journey is about to kick off this new adventure. They've made the decision and they're going to start to head out on the road again. That's right. When to begin that quest, then they come up to the test, the allies and the enemies that they have to face. As they go on their journey, the approach to the inmost cave, which represents many things in the hero's story, like the actual location or, you know, the terrible danger, the conflict that they have to overcome. Uh, following that, so after they, you know, approach the 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 final countdown, so you're getting towards the resolution, you're not quite there, I believe it's like as you start to get to the climax, you have the ordeal, which is where the hero um, endures this ridiculous like battle or like situation of some sort um, that's central to his crisis. And, and I preferencing his with um, the, I'm not making any mistakes because um, and I'll get into this like Campbell only presented this from a male perspective. Um, so he goes through the ordeal and f- confronts his greatest fear and tastes death. The next step is the reward. So after he goes through the ordeal, uh, they get a reward for confronting their their challenges. You then kind of go have the journey back where the hero takes, he, he kind of thinks about his journey, he reflects, maybe he does a few tasks on the way back, but it's kind of like, here's a completion, here's this new person created from this journey. And then Kristen. Then we happens? hit what's called the resurrection, and that's, basically the climax where the hero has to have the basically their final showdown against the most dangerous enemy or basically what they call the final boss moment mm. oh yeah video game yeah so video they meet up the, the final boss and there's either one or two things that can happen they can either triumph or they can fail and then the next one is to return with the elixir. So that's the final stage of the hero's journey. So that's when they return back to the ordinary world, completely changed from what they were when they first started. Right. So most stories created today, especially like if you think of like action or superhero or um, coming of age, you know, a quite a lot, you know, there's always this concept or uh, as my the last class I was in said, you know, people are either writing to this monomyth or they are writing 
as it as a, a reverse of it or the opposite of. So when they say like I don't want to do the hero's journey, then they're still thinking of this monomyth as the opposite of what they're trying to achieve when creating stories. But over time, this is what um, people have been saying. You know, if when I was in school, we we read Odysseus, we read all the Greek, right. you know, the the classic Greek plays and stories all the things that are considered canon that we are required to read and what's funny is one of the articles you posted by the uh i think it was like rethinking rethinking school.org and she talks about why she doesn't teach uh the hero's journey and one of those things was that you know you come across the hero's journey and it really articulates a singular uh event for one person there's no connection to all the other characters and how they're involved in this collective experience right you know you st- you do have those archetypes but they're really there as like stand-ins for specific goals or uh aids that the hero has to complete their journey but they're not really dimensional or complex and she was saying that one of the things that uh for her was why she didn't like teaching or using the hero's journey was that it ignores that collective experience that comes with it because it's a very singular, like, this is the hero's journey. This is their exp- his experiences, what he's achieving from this and what he's bringing back. But we, and what she said it in, the, in the article is, like, we've all, though, had to learn it. It's like required reading. If you yes. don't use the hero's journey, are you really learning? Or you're, you're going to miss out in the world because this is supposed to help you... Uh, navigate your quest or your journey your everyday experience but then this comes to the question which is what we're going to be talking about today is like is it applicable to people of the global majority is it applicable to women you know how does the hero's journey can it apply or does it apply to us and so um i kind of wanted to talk about the archetypes a little bit if you i don't want to jump ahead if you had well when you mentioned that it just about whether or not you know the hero it's being a singular journey and we are often saying him his journey hero because traditionally it is the story that is focused on a man's perspective Mm -hmm. particularly a white male perspective and his journey throughout the world and one of the articles that we found was from the Atlantic and it was, um, and the writer, oh man, I can't remember her name right now. Um, you know what's was, funny? In that list that you had, um, I forgot to send you one of the things I found, but in this list that you had, I noted, I was like, something in me was like, who wrote uh, these articles? Because the first one that specifically has the question, uh, who can black people or can African Americans ha- live the hero's journey is like written by a white guy. Yes. And then the other few that I saw were also written by like white people, except for the teachers one. I don't know about the Atlantic. I think that was the also one white. for the Atlantic is Monica was written by Monica Byrne. And yes, she is a white woman and, and she just, dis- she actually discusses that right in the article. But there was just this one part that I think ties into what we were talking about with the hero's journey. When we went through the outline Mm-hmm. for Joseph Campbell's The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And she reads, and I quote, uh, it's a work that compares mythologies from cultures around the globe. The hero pretty much just has one face, that of a white or whitewashed man. 
-hmm. Women are usually guiding spirits or goddesses encountered along the way, not the heroes themselves. This has troubling implications when we view writing stories as an act of creation, not just of a narrative, but of the society in which we live and the possibilities prescribed for the people who live in it. Literature is our best collective creation myth. And then she goes on to basically say that when we do that and we have stories that generally focus on white men or whitewashed men, Mm -hmm. that it takes away from the stories of other people, particularly women, right? And especially women of the global majority as well. And because of that, when they talk about, you know, how men need to nowadays, um, uh, what, no, I can't think of the word, where, you know. Circumlocution, think around it, describe around it, and you'll get to. Okay, but it just kind of basically where we keep saying that men need to be, or to leave, uh, to, to steer away from the uh, misogyny mm-hmm. that has, uh, permeated patriarchy. Yes. <laughs> yes, the patriarchy, like to get away from that. But it's difficult for them to do that when they continuously have stories created, making them the center mm-hmm. of every journey and every story. So it's like, well, we tell you that you need to be more open and treat women as equals, but at the same time, society and the majority of the stories that are published, especially in English, mm-hmm. um, in the West, especially in the West, they all center generally on white male protagonists and it's their journey that everyone else needs to see themselves and yeah and that was one of the things that she mentions in the article is that growing up that was her you know her favorite characters were all male Mm -hmm. because those were the stories that were popular and that she was exposed to so when she had the opportunity to become a writer she didn't want to write from a female perspective perspective and even because of that once a lot of when i think of a lot of women or female female writers who uh, have idolized or have like certain particular characters that are women who are are leads. A lot of them have quote unquote traits that are considered that by society for a long time have been considered masculine. That if you're you're you have this manly trait about you, and so we admire it because you're you know you're exhibiting or we're not for it for whatever reason. You know it can go either way. But um, you you brought up two points in my mind that I I wanted to touch on anyway. Um, so one of those things is it's funny. Or one of the things I want to talk about too later, but also throughout this whole thing, is that there's that idea that we've been using these stories, even older stories, constantly to the time people are raised um, and going to school. These these tropes, these monomyths, this these storylines that everyone has to read, yes. and so we're all told that this is the way it has to be. And these are myths from hundreds and thousands of years ago. But like the the we're changing people's the civilization changing, society changing, how people integrate and move with each other is changed. So how do we change or create myths to now um to accommodate that or not even to accommodate to address it and speak on it and and for future generations to like be able to understand how societies progress but this also goes to the point of like does the concept of myth change and how do what does that mean in society because you know hundreds of years ago before we had internet you know we we carry tradition through myths we carried stories of like where we came from in creation through myths and now here and now, you know, a lot of our myths are, you know, graphic novels or comics or those fantasy stories, but in years to come, what are we going to be teaching as our myths or our creations? So that's one question I had, or one thing that's been in my head as I've been reading. But the other thing, and I want to go back to Joseph Campbell and the concept of, we, of teaching to the white male face or, teach, or speaking to the white male face, is there is a woman 
and I'll talk about her contribution a little bit later, but her name is Marie Murdoch, and she created something called The Heroine's Journey, and it's one of many different formats that have come out since uh, Campbell created uh, The Hero's Journey to, uh, con to create a feminine perspective mm -hmm. of that journey, and so she point blank asked Campbell, uh, you know, can women, or she's like about women in the hero's journey, he responded, and I quote, women don't need to make the journey. In the whole mythological tradition, the woman is already there. All she has to do is to realize that she's the place that the people are trying to get to, or the male is trying to get to. So she's not really, and this goes to what I was saying a little bit earlier of how like they don't really flesh out the other archetypes that are in the story. It's, it's just, just about the man completing his journey, which that sounded highly sexual. It actually but they're just, have, they're just there to um, help move along the story. Right. Help the, the hero. Like, he was just straight up just submissive and be like, you are not really a human, so you don't get You're to have this journey. You're not necessary to the story. So I thought, so when you think, when you hear, because that's one of the things that I thought, too, was that, okay, when he's creating this, I mean, obviously a male-dominated field, but or world, but was he actively, you know how some people just do it because they're, that's how they're trained and their brains don't think outside of like what they've always known and how conditioned, right? Or you have people who are actively like, no, I purposely excluded you for yes. this reason. And you find that out and you're like, damn, he didn't think any of us were, you know, worth, especially just being female, but can you think of then a black female? Can a black female have a hero's journey in Campbell's mind? Probably not. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so that, when I read that, um, and that was on storygrid.com uh, for the hero's journey, I also found that site that you pulled up too, but like she goes into detail about that and the Virgin's Promise, which I will link later when we uh, go through things. But, so she creates that in, in, a, in a, I don't want to say counteract, but you know, in That's a counterpoint. A counterpoint, thank you. I was like, counter something. Countertop, I don't know. Uh, That's completely, <laughs> completely different. So that, but that goes to that point. Okay, so like let's let's look at these archetypes then, because if Campbell thought a woman's role was only relegated to an archetype of the male condition, I, I, there's a, there's so many questions that I have going into that. So um, I'm gonna pull up this this nifty little thing. And so in the hero's journey there is uh, the hero, and their role is to serve and sacrifice. Then you have what Kristen mentioned earlier was the mentor, and it's usually like the older person or someone who's wise. Yes, what impart wisdom. Yes, basically, perhaps a magical guru. Yes, and, and we've talked about that, and I think yes. that that's where Campbell saw us. But anyway, uh, there's the threshold guardian, which is there to test. So that's also like uh, the orgers and the monsters and the dragons and whatever. Uh, you have the herald or the, um, the ally, which uh, is to warn, there's the warn and the challenge is the hero, but then the ally is someone there to help guide, or c not help guide, but help the hero learn certain yeah. lessons along the way. Uh, there was this concept of the shadow and the shapeshifter too, which were like a part of those things in the ordeal okay. zone where um, things, like kind of like the trickster as well. So these things that disrupt, disrupt and destroy and question and deceive and make the hero kind of question their journey. And then you have the goddess, who is the female, uh, I, I think there's another term, but I've seen a lot of people write it as the goddess, which is just like the, the either the reward or the person that they need to come to to like be renewed or like feel loved or something like that. But it's still like she's still a place to get to. She's not a actual human of value or worth. Okay. Uh, there's a few archetypes that I'm missing, but my computer is running slow. So sorry, guys. And I don't remember off the top of my head all of the roles. Uh, yes. Anyway, so, 
as I was searching through this, one of the things I noticed that a lot of the articles and things we were finding were written by white people. And that's not new to me because when I was taking folklore classes and things like that, most of the literature that I had to read in school was all 90, I would say 90% was white men and then like 5% women and occasionally you would get a person of color writing it that we would read, but it would be for that specific area or cult, you know what I mean? Like, so a Japanese person for Japan and like, okay, so yeah. th most of the things I read were written by, and that's not anything new. We know that a lot of historians and scholars and things have the opportunity, the advantage to be white and tell, tell stories. And I was like, okay, it, it, did it seem impossible or difficult for you to find people of color writing about the hero's journey? I did not. It was difficult to find that, although I do know that at least some of the books that we've read and discussed kind of follow along that similar path of the hero's journey. Oh, no, I mean, like, in terms of, like, discussing. But discussing whether, yeah, yeah. It, that was very, actually very, for me, that was difficult to find. Yeah. I think I maybe... The school teacher one was literally the only person that I saw... Uh, in the ones that you had found, and then I found one by a trans person who was talking about the trans experience with the hero's journey, and I'll talk a little about that later, but even still, when I found the two things about the heroine's journey and the virgin's promise, they're both written by white women, and I was like, so has no one talked about this? I feel like there has to be, you know? There probably is. It just, we just need probably more time to either find it or we can take the time to talk about it now. I mean, <laughs> I mean well, no, we're talking about it now, but we don't, I, that's what I'm saying is that yeah, I don't see much. or I couldn't find anything out there that really spoke to this narrative or this lack of narrative, I think, besides it, saying that there's a lack of narrative. Right. I think it, we fall into, as living in the, the U.S., we fall into that same kind of uh, double-edged sword, mm -hmm. per se, of we have received, most of us have received pretty much the same basic education in, in regards when it comes to literature, mm -hmm. where it is usually we are reading Shakespeare or maybe Faulkner, um, that was, there, who was the dude who wrote that ridiculous book, Catcher in the Rye? Oh, uh, it's, it's been But that, but that writer, Strider? I don't, I don't remember his name. I don't really but care. But I remember <laughs> the book, because I was like, this is a ridiculous story. But people, but the what I was always told is that this is, this is a great a work book. of fiction. It's a great work of, of fiction. It speaks to the teenage experience. Yeah. And I was like, it's about a whiny white boy who Who's teenage experience? can't get, all the things that he wants and I was like I can't identify with that because to me it was a ridiculous story mm. but yet when I went to class and had to write about it you have to always write about it in the positive right like why it's a good story what did they learn or how is it supposed to like Beowulf and all exactly like Odysseus like you mentioned, you mentioned Odysseus you know the you know the story of the Trojan War like we know all of these things because we are consistently spoon-fed that as we go through school and that's basically what your English class is comprised of mm -hmm. you know the same old same old Romeo and Juliet I think when I was in AP English we had to read The Sound and the Fury which still makes me furious that I had to read that book <laughs> but I was like this is the only book that I have read about black people aside from t uh, one story by Tony, Tony Morrison's beloved right for as a uh, a Freshman student in high school. To and Kill a Mockingbird. But that wasn't really written by. That's yeah, what that I had to read. Uh, well, I didn't get a chance to read to, to Kill a Mockingbird, but it was beloved, and I know why the Cage Bird sings. Mm, that was the only two books written by black authors black that I read all throughout high school. Everything else was written by 
white authors, particularly white, specifically white male authors. Mm-hmm. And then when I get to Sound and the Fury, and I remember asking mom, I was like, I don't know why for Black History Month, I'm reading about, I'm reading a book about a group of white people who are being taken care of by black people. Mm-hmm. Who, white people with problems who are being taken care of by black people who are just there to kind of like coddle them. Well, that goes to the point that even as our own stories, quote unquote, it only serves to propagate the the popular narrative or that idea that like if a white audience isn't about it, then it's not gonna no one really wants to read it. And then there's this also this interesting. I think it was in the no the uh, the medium article that was talking about the movie Dope. Yeah. She oh was it she? I don't know. They no, reference. I don't know. Uh, they reference. I'm just gonna say they reference. Uh, they reference the fact that you know this concept of how popular culture loves either black trauma or historical dramas with black people in it. And that's what seems to be the most attractive thing to white audiences for whatever reason. They don't want to go extend beyond, you know, the trauma of or our trauma and, and the past, but they're okay with seeing everything else in the sun, you know, an int, you know, flying through the air with a Ewok on his back, something like crazy like that. But that also brings to mind when you see stories like that, it's always told, or many times it's told from the perspective of a white person mm-hmm. looking at the black experience mm-hmm. and then there always has to be a white person who's redeeming there always has to be a good white person the there to, to, to say that exactly you know that not all white people are bad just these particular blatantly racist right people are only bad. these blatantly racist are the bad people everyone else you're good to go it's almost like a, a reprieve card sometimes those movies and tv shows and books of like hey if you're just if you're not this kind of racist then you're a okay right you're not racist at all so this leads to that concept of like okay well if i don't see you as if as a as the same equal footing as me then i can't see your journey um exhibited or i can't when i watch it your journey bores me or doesn't appeal to me because it's not my experience because i've never had to deal with your experience well and also it makes it i guess easier to to see that experience and then think it's the same thing with uh, what has happened uh, fairly recently with the whole kerfluffle about critical race theory, which is not taught in school, in, school, in, in elementary of, and high yeah. schools. Outside of law and school. Exactly, and, and college, in most colleges. Yeah. Like, that's not what's being taught. But there's this huge thing about not teaching actual American history the way American history actually is and trying to rewrite it was like, there are no bad guys here. We, we're great. We do all these great mm-hmm. things. It was like, but you've done terrible things as well. And you have to own up to the great as well as the terrible. But it's like, no, we don't want to do that. You know, where people were like, oh, you're just telling white children that everything is their fault. I don't know uh, how many history classes these people did slept through, but mm-hmm. at no point in time has I've ever been in a history class that has ever told white students that what happened is their fault right. at all. Like, but you still have to be able to say, like, this is what the history is. This is what happened. You don't have to like it, but this is how it is. Mm. And I think that's the same thing is the fact that you always have to have a redeeming white character in either uh, in stories of the people, the global majority. If you want them to be popular and to be put on television, there always has to be some type of one redeeming white character. So mm-hmm. to say that, hey, you can identify Not with every, this, yeah. that this person, because this person is, is you, white white male or female that's watching this mm-hmm. not everyone is bad or that 
uh, one of the things that I thought was interesting was in this uh, article that I read. Uh, I believe it was on. Oh goodness, I think I closed out the thing, but it was uh, young adult. It was talking about young adult trans uh, stories and the concept of um, how they create the hero's journey, or when they create the hero's journey for people who are not white males, or when they try to manipulate it into a story that uh, it's more of how can I make the non-white, non-queer person or understand, or sorry, how can I make the non-white queer person accessible to the white male gaze so that they can feel that they're, um, that, uh, what was the way is it? They can feel that they can understand their story in a more tolerable way, but like by doing, putting them in the template of the hero's journey, it strips away a lot of the complexities and the issues that we would have to deal with. Like, the hero's journey is very simplistic in the sense of like, okay, these are fears and demons and whatever that the cis white male has to deal with, but let's think about on top of that, what are all the other things and complexities in this world that non-white queer people non-white and or queer people have to deal with on top for their hero's journey. Because especially when we think about how the hero's journey is taught in school, it's taught about how it's supposed to be a way to teach youth how to deal with their everyday journey. And how to overcome whatever right. trials that they may face or challenges they face in life through that. And so you're given this, this template, but it doesn't apply to the complex experiences that these other people that are non-white males um, wait, non-white, non-cis males, like, have to experience. So this, I wanted to link this back to uh, Maureen Murdoch, who, so from what I've seen in the research I was doing last, because I stumbled upon this two days ago, uh, there's various ideas and concepts and templates for, like, the feminine journey or the feminine dichotomy of the men's hero's journey. Uh, but she created an almost expanded version of the hero's journey or created, I guess, extra steps in the hero's journey. So uh, what the first step that the hero or the heroine, excuse me, goes through is uh, the heroine separates from the, fe <clears throat> from the feminine. The feminine is often a mother mentor figure or societal prescribed feminine marginalized outsider role. And I thought that was interesting, like that separates from the feminine. Because when you just read it then by itself, you're like, so... Well, let me, before I get ahead of myself, uh, the next step is identification with the masculine and gathering of allies. So this concept of like, okay, so the heroine in the beginning has to strip away what makes her feminine and gather, take on attributes that are more masculine for her to even start this journey or to take, you know, have the tools to even complete this journey. And that was my initial thought because, you know, when you're just reading the first steps, you're like, okay, what, why do, why does the feminine even need to have the masculine added on to, you know, to even start the journey? Okay. I, well, when you said that, or, and when I was reading through basically what it said, it also made me think, why is it that we define certain things, well, we, because we societally define certain traits or characteristics as being masculine and feminine, mm -hmm. whereas you have women who have both of these traits, like I think men and women, both, yeah, we all people do. have both of these traits. So instead of just thinking of it as just a human trait, because it's, it's those same traits that for a man, it is a great thing to have. But for a woman, it makes her mean or a bitch right. or, you know, some cutthroat, bloodthirsty. Right. You know, it's, a, it's a negative. But, yet, but also it's weird because sometimes it's seen as a positive because, you know, when you have power, like they both fear and respect her, that kind of thing. Or they're like they hate and love her. It's like this weird, it's a con this weird contradiction. Mm -hmm. 
but I yet in Korea. there there are times because it's like well women ha- sometimes women have to fight like if you're going to take a journey in, in, a, in a story a woman may have to fight now how she chooses to fight may be different depending upon the woman mm. like there are different ways to fight but you could say the same thing about men there are different ways to fight and depending upon how the story is progressing you might have to maybe pick up a sword or you might have to pick up a pen or you may have to use your words mm. but it just seems to me that you know we as a society have been so indoctrinated Mm-hmm. with the idea of only one group can have this and the only group can have that and if right. you have both there's something there's something wrong off. or this woman is too masculine um there was a movie once a long time ago with uh, Jack Nicholson I can't remember the name of the movie but I remember he was supposed to be a famous writer mm-hmm. and in the movie is that the one with Diane Keaton in it I don't think so I don't no, I don't remember no. but in this particular movie he was a fam- it was with Helen Hunt oh, okay that's who was in it um she he was like I said, he was a famous writer, and one of his female fans came up to him and said, "You know, I really love your work. How do you think of how do you capture women so well?" And his response to that question was basically, and I'm paraphrasing because mm-hmm. I really don't remember exactly, but I think of a man, and then I strip away reason mm-hmm. and intelligence, mm-hmm. and that's what leaves him with the characteristics of a woman. And I could just remember thinking, I was like, first of all. That's the That's worst thing you could possibly say to someone who was actually buying your work. Right. And but he doesn't care. Cause he, yeah. Like that ma- and the other thing was like, what makes you think women don't have reason or intelligence? Mm-hmm. Or I think, or he maybe he said emotion. I don't, I don't remember. But I was like, what makes you think that men are devoid of these things and women don't have them? I, it made no sense. It's, it's so something that I've been seeing coming up a lot and random things I've been reading and watching and was this idea, especially when we've been doing research for certain, um, like, indigenous cultures and, like, African cultures even, is this concept of before white Western influence, there were, and even within older gener- or older civilizations within Western culture, there was this idea of that people who experienced or expressed both the, di- the divine feminine and the divine masculine at the same time were considered closer to either spiritual or connection with earth, like they were valued because they embodied all the things that make us, you know, human. And like, yeah, and that makes sense because it seems to me that they would be thought of as being more complete as a person. Exactly. So you have so many cultures in Africa, Southeast Asia, South America, in the Americas that celebrated these ideas. And it wasn't until like uh, colonizing forces came through or white colonizing forces, colonizers. especially uh, Christian, Euro-Christian ideas came through they were like oh this is wrong we can't have that and we need to destroy these system these cultural structures and power systems by taking away the 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 importance of being able to express both of these and the importance of expressing both of these so when i was reading the beginning of maureen's thing it made me think about that like this idea of like why okay maybe if if it wasn't separation but like maybe um breaking free of like the bonds of oppressive feminine stereotypes and adopting both di- di- uh, binary or uh, adopting the spectrum of male female dichotomy, it would have sat more with me because that's like that seems more of what and when I think of how I live my life, it took me a long time to get past like this is feminine, this is masculine, but like there are very th- many things about me that I like to do or I like to think like that many people would say is very masculine. But it's not that it's masculine or feminine. For me, it's like, this is who I am. I exhibit both of these. But there was a lot of shame that I had for a long time of feeling like if I 
wasn't girly or like didn't exhibit like the femme that I was born with, then I would be like, no one would want to date me or I would be weird or blah, blah, blah. And I was picked on. And that's because it also is something that in society, it it gets tossed into your face. And Mm. even more so when you are a woman who is non-white or the darker your skin is, the the more it seems, more hurdles you have, it seems to me. Since I have never ever been a white woman, that but that you have to overcome in regard to societal beauty standards and you know being accepted and also it, it, being seen as being feminine, even though you might enjoy things that are traditionally masculine. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that you're more one than the other. It just means that you have certain interests. You know, just like not all women want to have children and are natural caregivers for children, mm-hmm. there are men who are more naturally caregiving mm-hmm. towards children. You know. Um, I remember it, one of the employers that I used to work for, their dynamic was she works, her husband mm-hmm. stayed at home with their child. If they're listening. And that, but see that, I had to stop and think because when you first hear, when you first hear it, and your that's mind. not the norm, yeah. you're like, that's weird. But then I had to stay, stop and think about it. And I'm glad that, you know, you can keep your mouth shut mm-hmm. sometimes. So to think before you speak, instead of just like saying something off the cuff. And right. I was like, actually, no, that makes sense. That was in their relationship. That's, that's what, what they chose to do. Yeah. What they chose to do in their relationship is none of my business, but it's cool that that's something that they could do. And it works for them. Right. Yeah. And both that's of them not have something it. that you could see. And I remember speaking to uh, a old friend about that before, where she was like, if she and her, husband decided to have children she was like i would need to i would want to continue working and he can stay with the children Mm -hmm. because he's more naturally a caregiver than she was and i was like that makes sense to me because if i could see myself possibly doing the same thing right no and then it's when you said your you know the initial response that some people have of like it's weird i i i don't know when the exact change happened but i remember when like i stopped saying in my head more or started saying more that's different and in the sense of, like, not so much negative, but, like, oh, this is a new perspective that I didn't know was available to me. And I think a lot of that comes from, like, understanding that there are – and experiencing through reading different cultures and meeting people in different cultures and seeing different mythologies and different – and just how I have developed as a person, you know, that it's possible to be whatever. Like, it, and it's not that different is bad. It's just a new perspective of how you can proceed through life with these things. Well, I also remember with growing up and we going to church, mm. and one of the things that we often were were taught or learned was that you know the woman's role, yes, was to primarily the the caregiver and for children, while the husband's role was pr- or the man's role was primarily for to work in the support of the family. Mm-hmm. And I remember always having this idea in my head, like, why does it have to be that way? Mm-hmm. I remember because that's that not how we were brought up. Yep. So it was a foreign concept to me. Like, as I've gotten older and I've seen more things, yes, I can understand that perspective, mm-hmm. but I can also understand the perspective where you may have the wife being able to work, you know, because one of my favorite uh, movies was Mr. Mom, mm. where the husband couldn't find a new job, but so the wife was able to find a job, so they had to switch roles. And it took some getting used to, mm-hmm. But eventually, he found he fell into the role of being able to be a caregiver and provider for his children, and to support his wife while she was out working. Right. Which was the inverse, and I was like, and that would be nice. Novel for that time. I remember when that movie right. was like what early nineties, late eighties. I think so. Yeah. And I think it was yeah, I think yeah, late eighties, early nineties. 
but I also remember thinking like that was such a cool mm-hmm. idea, but you never really saw anything else. You saw maybe Mr. Mom and then three men and a baby, mm-hmm. and that was for about mainstream. It. I don't right. know. If and then I think there was a TV show called My Two Dads that yeah. I, I used to like watching as well. But they were all white, yeah. white people. Anytime of you course. saw people of color, they were single white or not single, single parent or supporting yeah. the characters or, or grandparents or are the ones that are raising or something like that. Yeah. Um, that idea just of like the ability to be both, it would be interesting to see people write the concept of the journey. And, it, and I'm going to exclude saying the hero's journey at this point, but the journey or the path of human of a human or the lead as as taking or as proceeding through the journey with a gamut of tools from the spectrum of like it isn't just masculine feminine but you have all these tools given to you as a human to be able to do to process emotion to be empathetic to be strong to be you know stubborn to be you know logical and intelligent and forward thinking all of these things to fight your demons and come out on the other side with your your boon or success um, and I'm not going to go through all of uh, Maureen's thing, but there were some t- there's some other steps that I kind of thought were interesting just in terms of title. Um, I'll post the link so that you all can go through it. And I'll also post, there was a separate one that I found someone talking about both the heroine's journey and the virgin's promise. And the virgin's promise, they said, was meant more for like screenplays to make it easier for that. But it's, it follows a general um, flow um, of the beginning hook, the, the middle, middle build or the climax and resolution. Um, so I thought it was interesting and I'll, and I'll post it cause it was just like a nice little throw up of like the contrast of between the three. That's uh, interesting. Yes. So in Marine's thingy, after you skip ahead, if you, there's the experiencing the boon of success, which is after they overcome the os- obstacles or the ordeal. And so you get to the hero- heroine awakens to feelings of spiritual aridity and death. The heroine's new way of life attempting the masculine or dominant identity is too limited. Their success in this new way of life is either temporary, illusionary, illusory, shallow, or requires a betrayal of self over time. And I thought that was an interesting caveat that she added to there. So, like, not only – so you succeed, but – and that's something I remember seeing in a, in a lot of films and TV shows and books was, like, maybe, you know, she got to the top and now she's a CEO, but – what is she quote unquote lost or does she still have, did she really truly win? Cause now she has to deal with like the sexism at the top and there are now new challenges that right. have shown their, their or reared their ugly head, which makes you think it's like that idea of like, no matter what a woman will never, or, or a person of uh, the global majority will never quite win because there's always that extra obstacle that we have to face outside of what is the, 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 the cis white male journey. So I thought that part was was really interesting. And then you go to the initiation and descent to the goddess. And this one is where she said, Maureen says, the heroine faces a crisis of some sort in, a, in which the new way of life is insufficient and the heroine falls into despair. All of the masculine dominant group strategies have failed them. Um, and then, so there's that concept of like, okay, well, sh- she did all the things that she was told she was supposed to do to get to the top or to make it work or to survive. But being a man or trying to make herself a man did not work. Right. Which it, it, get, it makes me think, again, goes back to that idea of like, well, maybe if we weren't always in this idea of male versus female and more of like male and female, like as a complete human, how would the story pro- like progress? Would there be these extra steps if we didn't have to initially, excuse me, be separated or think of these as separate tools and emotions and things or that I only need to be masculine to, to be successful? 
You know what I'm saying? I do. So Because there are a lot of books that are based upon that, like how women can negotiate being CEO because they can't do it the same way that men can. The mm -hmm. same things that make men or what we've been told make men great CEOs are not the same steps that make a woman a great CEO to the people that work with her or under her because she's seen at it's, it's seen with a woman as a negative mm -hmm. versus a positive. And the whole time I've been was reading Maureen's thing, I was thinking, I was like, because she's a white woman, I was like, I wonder how this applies in the context of being a black woman. Because I was like, if I was on a hero's journey, and how, like, some of these steps, so, like, after she has a descent into madness, is what I'm going to call it, uh, there's the healing of the mother-daughter split, then it follows with the wounded masculine within being healed, and then the, the heroine integrates the masculine and feminine. That's the end of the journey. And it's like, so for women... Or I guess for um, in terms of white women, you know, the final step is being able to exist in the world as a woman, but also exhibit your male qualities or your masculine side without having to deal with as much. Um, what's the word? I want um, Alabama. Yeah, because I was like, I see them heroin. They hate it. That kind of thing. But then I was like thinking in my head. Okay, but when I think she also wrote this on the on the back of like the seventies and the sixties sexual revolution, and so that concept of like what white women got gained in power during that time, it fits very much into like affirmative action. Yeah, of that. But then I'm like, but does it? So she wrote this with that in mind during a time when yes, there was female empowerment, but it was very much on the backs of women of color. But the ones who gained were white women mainly, and so does this heroine's journey really apply to me either? First of all, I would have to say, before you can have the heroine's journey apply to you, it has to be established that you are, in fact, a woman first. Mm -hmm. Because that's, that yeah. is the first hurdle, and it, it brings to mind Sojourner Truth's speech, oh, I Ain't I a Woman? woman. Yeah. Because, first of all, you have to be seen as being a woman to... before you can even start with those other steps. Because that's the, and that's one of the hurdles that we come up with right now that has continued since the days of slavery, is not seeing... Uh, black women, black children, black men as being people. First mm -hmm. of all, being people. Secondly, being, you know, male, female, children, whatever, wherever they may be in life because, you know, black children are seen as being older than what they are or, you know, black men are seen as being bigger than what they may mm -hmm. be. Black women being seen as either usable or like a resource to be used or and or even seen as being, volatile. I guess, a, a female version of a man because some some of these people, when you body slam they like a teenage a girl, woman, yeah. like she's a grown man, mm -hmm. I was like, are you nuts? Are you insane? But because she she is black oh well she's not the same clearly they're stronger tougher built to last and mm -hmm. i was like Th these are cars well, not, not people that's just like when the, you know the concept that we're still fighting now that black people uh you know have thicker skin and we don't feel pain and we regenerate in certain levels i would just like say that is some super ultra bullshit i wish we, we could pain. i feel pain a lot i went yeah I, you know how many times i walk into things i know i purposely see it and i'm like okay isha your body is this big this is how much space you have you can calculate the math and as soon as i just slam straight into it i i have a i have a paralyzing fear when winter comes because i have to walk on ice mm. i walk as slow as a snail because i don't want to slip and fall because i because I don't want to hit the ground, because it hurts yeah. hitting the ground. It I've hurts. fallen. I've seen I've tiny fallen people do times. it. Yes, and I'm like, I can't bounce back like they can no. anymore. I'm, I'm, being, I'm beyond that. Even when I was that that tiny, yeah. I'm pretty sure I did not enjoy hitting the ground either. No one does. It's it's a, an obstacle course out there. Yes, but I feel like before you can have a hero or heroine's journey, that's the first step 
that you have to take when you are particularly a black American. Mm -hmm. I don't, I can't speak for being black anywhere else outside of the United States, but I'm sure that there are very other, there are lots of other countries where there are people who are of African descent who may feel the same way or people who are of non-white descent who feel similarly. And that brings me to one of the, um, that white guy. Yeah. That dude from, <laughs> for his uh, can an African American character even go on the hero's journey? That article, um, and one of the things that he mentions is that um, for a black person completing the hero's journey, it's basically oxymoronic mm-hmm. because there are all of these other issues that we have to that we have to take into account. Right. Earlier with Maureen, right? And yeah. You said you also mentioned it being too simplistic yeah. because it's like, oh, where you just have this one little thing. Well, we've got all these other hurdles as well as this one mm-hmm. thing. So you have to overcome all these hurdles plus this one thing in order to move on to get into the heart and the meat of the journey unless you remove uh, the, the, the racist cultural limitations. Right. And there are some stories that do that, but they have to be set in a different location. Um, you know, generally if you set it in Africa or a place where it's, um, not Western white centered that you can you can get away with doing that yeah. and there's there's nothing wrong with that but when we said it in the United States we may have to alter some things in order to to make that happen and he cited Eddie Murphy in Trading Places which I remember and Beverly Hills Cop, Beverly Hills Cop two movies that I do like but yeah. he also mentioned things that I didn't even think about when I watching Trading um, Places mm-hmm. which was that even in Trading Places. You know, other black characters barely existed. It was just Eddie Murphy's character that right. you saw, and he's Same the only one interacting with all these other white people. And on top of that, it says that they make more of him being poor versus being black. Right. Where the, the problem is that he's both black and poor. The reason why he's poor is mainly because he's black. Right. You know, and he has to hustle. Right. To because of that fact. But they don't really go into that. It's just, you know, this is what they do. And also when his character in training uh, places does make it and does overcome and he, he is able to become wealthy, he doesn't go back and teach other black people so far as we know how to do mm-hmm. that. He doesn't share it with them. He, he just keeps goes it to himself, on yeah. and just, you know. Which that goes to that whole conversation we've had before about, like, you know, when black people get rich and famous, do they come back for their own? But that's another topic. But true, but it's like, you know, we you say, like, oh, well, black people are equal. Why are they mm-hmm. still... A- asking for their rights is because there are still some there's still hurdles mm-hmm. that are there it was like you can't say we're all equal and you still haven't removed the majority of the hurdles or any of the hurdles there's right. the hurdles are still there but you were like oh but you're but we're all equal now everything is fair you don't need to we don't need to worry about you know slavery anymore my ancestors didn't didn't enslave you my grandparents didn't but did your grandparents and great-grandparents get a home loan that mine were denied? <laughs> well, like, right, there's, there's, and there's a system of advantages and disadvantages that have occurred for hundreds of years that have tallied up with interest. And a lot of them have answers. happened within the lifetime of people who are still living who are just mm-hmm. like, oh, that was so long ago, but it happened within your lifetime. You're still alive. I think it's, um, there's a point you made a little bit earlier, too, about how just being seen as human or being seen as the same as the popular majority person yes. out there. And so... One of the interesting articles that I came across, and I've been referencing it a bit already, was the uh, yapride.org, which was the one talking about um, trans uh, trans heroes journey. And part of it, a lot of it, a lot of the things that we're saying that this person was saying in their article made me think about my own life journey of like experiencing black and brown 
content and kind of devouring it at first because you're like, oh, here's something with supposedly, you know, a black or brown lead and maybe female um, or maybe even a character that's a side character who's given a little bit more lines and like slightly more complexity. But it's like as you devour this more and more, you know, at first when you first see it's legitimizing, it's healing because you're like, oh, my God, yeah, more. There's me out there. And then you start to see that there's more repetition and it becomes generic and stigmatizing. Yes. Um, and so you get to this point where then it starts to feel tired and you can predict the way that the story is going to go. Sure and can. it gets boring. And when they said that, I was like, that's basically why this podcast started. It was like me coming home and fucking shit up for you. And then I was talking all the time. I mean, it was sure, already there sure for you, to, you know, in your mind. But it's like. But I didn't, I didn't consciously think of it. It was a subconscious thing that was rolling it's, around, but consciously it, it brought it to the forefront. And I was like, oh, crap, now I can't watch anything. Right. And it was like, just seeing that, I was like, that's so true. And so one of the things that I thought was interesting, too, is we've talked about the black tax on here, but we've also talked about, but she talked about, or they talked about the trans tax. They didn't quite say it. I'm calling it the trans tax, but it was the same idea of, like, they were referencing a lot of these books that they read, and they were like, you know, they're important for what they were at the time, and we have to be gentler to what they are because, you know, things change and develop over time. Nothing's ever going to be perfect at the start. Like, a book doesn't have to be perfect for it to be enough for it, and they say specifically a trans teen. So when you think about youth and, like, just having access to something that shows that we exist outside of the stereotypes and the, the cardboard cutouts and, like, the side characters and whatever... If it, even if it's not perfect, if it's on its way, we have to appreciate and, and because the only way you're going to su succeed in these stories is to fail, right? To make mistakes and failures and learn from them and create stories. We haven't had a chance, or I mean, we are now, but for many years, we haven't had a chance to tell stories for us, centered for us, um, that actually tell our journey. And so as we're learning to navigate how to share our stories, there are going to be, you know, mistakes made or things that aren't perfect. We have to relish those, but also understand so that we can change and create better. I also think that part of not being able to get many of the stories told is that being able to get those stories past the gatekeepers. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. is like, who are the people in the publishing houses and in the studios that are getting these ideas and probably getting them across their desk and be like, oh, well no or this should have a white person so we're just going to we'll change see. that that's and what's great about now that's what that is what's great about now but still there there is still that hurdle it in, is in but some ways where it's like i think these, these stories exist yeah they definitely but exist and they get them into the mainstream and out there and open so that people know about mm -hmm. them or can at least know where it's to still find developing them. it's still and you still have gatekeepers who are mm -hmm. like oh well a lot of them are dying though yes but the system is still in place, and so it's like you still have to to work on chipping away at that right. in order to to get that, you know, to where we, we want to be. I mean, even just taking the the In the Heights movie that came out n not that long ago, right. you know, there was still the whole thing where it was like you still continue to overshadow the Afro-Latinos who are dark-skinned. Oh, is that the one with Lynn manuel Yeah. Okay. Versus those who are the, the Latinos that are lighter-skinned. Mm -hmm. And you can see that in a lot of their series and shows and movies and things like that. You still you still see that pattern and how even where you have people who are like, can't we just celebrate the fact that there is a, a, a Latino movie, you know, and it has all these pe these Latino actors in it that made it to the main, the main screen mm -hmm. and on the same side, you're like, but aren't you doing the same thing that you were accusing right. Hollywood of doing to you? Right. Is where they're not putting Latinos up in the fore, and now you're saying, well, so long as they have Latinos in the fore, we don't really need to worry about well, that's Latinos right now. And so that, again, goes back to what's great now with what technology, because you have the ability to, like, create it, 
and criticize it openly and people have like be heard because Twitter, social media is all the things people got on that and was like, what the fuck is this about? Like why, you know, we've been talking about this and you did this. So we're going to call you out. And I don't think we should not call people out. And that's not what I'm saying. I, it's more of like, we have to be careful when we're, when we're, you know, creating these things, because also let's say you have someone comes through and they create something that has like a really good potential storyline, but maybe it was kind of pussed up because they were like struggling to navigate. Maybe they couldn't get funding for certain, you know, all these things that could happen, but they got it out there. Mm -hmm. They got out a form of representation, celebrate. And then, and, 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 and what's the word I want to say? Promote it to effect of saying, this is great, but we can do more. You know what I mean? As opposed yes. to, I think, not just in us, but in general as, as humans, I've been seeing a lot of things where it's like, we can't just be happy for something. We have to also, we either have to just tear it down completely because it's not perfect. Which we shouldn't do. Or like, because I was watching something and someone had posted and it was like an interracial couple and this woman was like, you know, I was very nervous about my, you know, 4C hair and my natural hair. But this person, this, you know, he, he makes me feel comfortable. Like, I don't have to. Blah, blah. Yeah. Okay, well, beautiful that's thing. Literally, though, some of the first comments I saw, there were first a few words like, can't y'all just let this woman live? Like, why are you on her slandering her and say, and like, you know, coming at her for this? Like, she's out here doing, living her best life. And, but, and people made pertinent questions because there is that feeling, I think, too, that you get, you know, when you see a white man and a black woman. There's people in the community who are like, oh, why is she not with a black man? Well, so, and someone made a very good point. It's like, because y'all niggas out here sometimes saying stuff about black women and making them feel less yes, than. Yeah. So um, it's weird. It, and it's just that weird dichotomy of, or not dichotomy, but that weird contrast of like, okay, our oppressors are also the only ones that, that are willing to accept you. Yeah, it's like a total mind fudge. So like, just thinking about it now, it's like, damn, this might be why I have issues when I date white men. I'm not going to touch that, but, <laughs> yeah, but I can see what you're talking about. Like, it, it does. It brings up a lot of good points, and there there are a lot of issues within the black community mm -hmm. that we need to resolve. The problem is that we have not learned how to interact with each other in a more supportive way where we can be like, we need to have calm, clear discussions without it devolving into name-calling mm -hmm. and disrespect, complete and utter disrespect, in order to move the entire group forward. Right. Like, we don't need, we're not, like, you want people to think we're not a monolithic stereotype, but then at the same time, you only want to present us to the world as a particular Christian-centered, like, straight, like, you, it's almost as if it's, like, we're behind a little bit in where the world is, and so what's socially acceptable now with, like, liberal white people is, like, everyone can be queer, and we're cool, and, and you can do as you long can as be you a female empowered. No, 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 well, what I was going to say was that, like, uh, every, oh, I just lost my picture of thought, um, everything is cool. You know, oh, damn, I had a really good point, and then I just lost it. Anyway, Sorry, I interrupted you, but everything is awesome. Everything is cool. Anyway, so one of the things that I thought when I was reading this this tra this uh, writing about the hero's journey and trans young adult is that thinking of just black trans people going to this point of, like, within their community, to have the, the basic concept of any s of the hero's journey is really about – it's supposed to be a metaphor for, like, the universal struggle – um, and perseverance, bravery, and overcoming a fear, but it was put in this template of only existing within a white context. So I do think that people of color can traverse the journey. We might have to change the name, but like at its very basic core, we all are dealing with struggle and perseverance of some kind, but our, our versions of it come differently. So if we can create stories that navigate that general thing of like, 
you're confronted with your own personal but also external demons or fears or whatever and you're finding your way to overcome or get do whatever you need to live your best life and become the hero of your story or the heroine or what's a, a universal word the the super person of your story that that is what we should be really aiming for um but the problem is that a lot of these books center on or a lot of times when marginalized groups are placed in the template of the hero's journey and this is i'm paraphrasing from the article uh these books become or center on the marginalization the trans character isn't allowed to participate in this narrative as a sword wielding snarky badass they are instead relegated to a message and when i read that it made me think of don't be a menace to south central while drinking your juice in the hood and you remember when uh, he would go around it was it wasn't keenan it was uh what's the oldest one uh Keenan is the old Oh, is it? Okay, maybe it was Keenan, but he would go around every time in the story there was an important black lesson, he would go through and be like, message! And it's like that idea of like, going back to what we said earlier and what we said before, this this obsession with black trauma and trans, and like even with, when I, I was been reading stuff and watching things with like queer television, it's the same thing. There's this like promotion of queer trauma first before you get trier, trier, queer everyday experiences, like queer horror movies or queer you know, or black horror movies and that kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, so it's like outside of us just being a message, we want to have to, we want to have to be a human with a human experience. Right. A fully human person having a fully human experience, uh, which makes, yeah, yeah go ahead. that makes sense to me. I mean, that's what everybody is, is asking for. That's what stories are supposed to be showing us, like human people having human experiences and how they overcome what the trials and challenges that they end up having to face. And just thinking about a couple of the stories that we've discussed, mm-hmm. um, Who Fears Death, I think, yeah. would fit well into the hero, heroine's journey. Uh, Mexican Gothic, I think. Exactly. Was I was thinking of that one, too. Mexican Gothic if you, as well. I feel like it's because we can see the hero's journey not just in the context of, like, or we've been able to expand what the journey is in our own minds to, like, incorporating, okay, this struggle, this universal struggle of a fear or a, comp- a, a goal or a mission set for you and within the context of who you are as an individual and the things you have to deal with already, you're overcoming and you're finding allies. So I think it is, yeah. We've, yeah. It's we possible. have, like, uh, Cinderella is Dead, mm-hmm. uh, an, an Ember in the Ashes, Ashes like, Torch Against the Night this month. Right, all of the, I mean, in even more stories that we've gone through, yeah. they, they kind of sh- show us that, you know, um, there was another one I was thinking of, and I just, like, blanked on the name. The I one by Tony Adiemi. Oh, uh... Uh, Children of Blood and Bone. Yeah, Children of Blood and Bone. Like the, I was gonna say, like the similar, <laughs> similar thing. Uh, brain fillers. Yes, but you have that. It, it's the same. Like you can see the hero's journey within that, or the and hero heroine's journey, because I mm-hmm. feel like it kind of merges the two from what we could briefly see. Yeah. About about them, but here it is, and so like you mentioned, and here's a fully faceted view of a of a complete people person or group of people Mm -hmm. where you can see like the different sides and how they interact and how people their interactions are more than just um superficial yeah but because of those interactions they end up growing and changing or you know it they play off of each other i also feel like a lot of those stories we've read too also which was what an issue came with just like the traditional hero's journeys template is that you give more depth to the characters that surrounds, which what that teacher was talking about, and what, and I had quoted just because I liked the way she had phrased it, was the idea that to focus on the transformative effect of communities rather than individuals. And growing up, you know, I mean, this is a common, uh, whatever the term is for when a phrase that people Same. use. Saying. 
yeah, but there's like a specific word. Anyway, uh, you know, it takes a village to raise a family, but especially within black and yeah, sorry. Uh, but especially within black and brown families, that is very true. You know, you have the grandmas and the aunties and the uncles and the cousins and everybody's taking care of you. And, you know, you have family, you know, there. And that is who raises you, not just your your father and your mother. So the same idea, too, of like you have this community around you, you have your friends, you have allies um, that are out there to help you complete this journey so that you don't have to do it on your own. You are living your own individual experience, but we live these individual experiences surrounded by people who are supposed to help us grow better for better or worse, you know, our interactions with them, but like are supposed to help us grow to complete our final hero's journey or our final journey. And also it's something that you can't really do on your own. Like even parents can only do so much for their children, but it's those interactions children have with other people within the community that help them to be more fully formed people. Mm. I mean, granted, your parents or your immediate family and extended family are probably the, the first that, that help shape you, mm. but your interactions with other people as you grow and you learn help to develop you as a more well-rounded person, hopefully, yeah. depending on who, who, you're be, who you're interacting with as a child or, and what they're, what they're teaching you. But still, like, that's the hope is that you end up be, being a better person or being more empathetic or more understanding as you come into contact with people and they teach you different things about yourself and about how you how people can be. I definitely think when I go back to that question that I asked before we started recording and kind of the final, it connects with this idea of like can black people, can black women, can people of the global majority run the journey? And the idea of like we have to, you know, not smash or dismantle or, or completely eradicate the, the model myth of the hero's journey, but we need to take all these things and our current civilization, our current society, and how we view and work with each other and create, quote-unquote, new myths and create the concept of what a myth is because years from now, hundreds of years from now, if we write these stories and create these movies and TV shows that exhibit the story of humans existing and struggling with personal demons, external demons, you know, and succeeding and how to do that with not only yourself, not relying, well, sorry, I should say with the strength of not only yourself, but also the people who are there to be your allies and how to navigate that. Can you imagine what kind of society we would have if our, the myths of today that are created for the future had this in place? I think it would show more of what the world and the people in the world were like. And I also think that in answer to your question, yes, uh, people of the global majority can do the hero's journey, the hero and heroine's journey, but in order to do that journey, we have to make it our own. So it won't be 100% everything that um, Joseph Campbell mm -hmm. wrote down, but we can totally do the hero's journey, but it'll be our own inflection we on the hero's journey. Name for it. We call it the human journey. No, that's too boring. The, the global journey. Fantastic voyage of humanity. That I think Fantastic Voyage is good. I think of humanity, we could just... Well, it sounds like a spaceship. Well, obviously, because, you know, waiting for George Clinton and P-Fuck All-Stars to come pick you up. That was a great, great concert. Anyway, yeah. I, those I, are two I, different bands. I know that. Well, band. actually, George Clinton and P-Fuck, all of that were... I'll send you the thing for it. But they were together, separate creations, iterations of the same, but, like, growing and changing and losing uh, musicians and changing their name. All right. But back to what we were talking about. Yes, I think the hero's journey can be done by people of the global majority. We just will make it ours. Yeah. That, you know, create new narratives, new pathways. And that, I think, will lead to us not having to feel like we... I mean, you still have the basic storyline that we all 
mostly used even in like long extended stories a beginning a middle with a conflict a conflict and a, and a resolution and then the end of your journey so we'll all know that that's going to be happening in the story but i look forward to being surprised and not immediately figuring out how the ending will look true but the thing is, is that we have to make our own stories mm-hmm. we've already had plenty of stories go that show the lives of people of the global majority through the white gaze now it's time for the people of the global majority to show stories within their own gaze and we're seeing more and more of that where we're getting access to more and more of it mm-hmm. it's been there and the thing is that now we can share it with more each other yeah it's easier to get it out there past the gatekeepers going back to something we said a little bit earlier it's like you now have the ability for someone who can just grab a camera that's of good quality for that's affordable to a certain extent find some people and throw something together or they can write and publish their work and throw it out on an independent either by themselves yeah self-published or an independent network that's looking for these things so when i say that we're there we're it's it's uh not convenient and i don't want to say lucky we're there's a benefit we i don't know what the word i'm trying to say but the concept of being able to live in a time where it's like even though we still have a lot of work to do but like we have access to it now like i, I can't imagine we're fortunate yes that we that's have this we have the access that we do now can you so imagine 30 can, 50 years ago before it had been difficult yeah it had been very difficult because you don't have didn't have the access you'd have to, to which buy have it now there. and then once it's out there you can't reel it in mm. you can't you can't hide it and bury it but the thing is that we have to be the ones to write our own stories and get them out there yep so i hope you all enjoyed us you know waxing poetically or unpoetically, I don't know. Enjoy, yeah, and like, and this was our tiny bit on the hero and heroine's journey. Yeah, there's so much to it. It's kind of ridiculous. I was like, man, I feel like I'm doing homework again in school, and I was like, it's getting dangerously close to homework, as opposed to just fun research, because they be giving you 20 pages of the stuff, and I'm like, can you not? I have to say, I know this is probably gonna end up in the uh, the bloopers, but the teacher's one, I was like, you could tell she's a teacher because she kept it short and sweet. It was like a six-minute read, but it hit, hit all the important points. And That's I'm, what you need, right? Like, everybody else was like, I'm going to type for 40 hours and give you a whole dissertation. And nobody wants to read nobody, that. Man, nobody wants to read all the boring stuff. Just give me the, the right. pertinent details. Especially on the screen where I got to do ads and shit in between. Exactly. So uh, join us at the end of the month. We will be following up for the Ember and the Ashes series with A Torch Against the Night yeah. or A Torch in the Night. So get to reading, y'all. Yes, uh, until next time, we're going to put these crayons back into the box. Until, see you you later. (laughs) Look for us on all major podcast platforms. Don't forget to like and leave a review. Music by Moon Apple XX. You can find them on Instagram as well as are done by Midnight.